Hey, this is Kate. I'm a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and I collect stories. Everything from true crime to trauma to parenthood. There's a lot more in common between depression and sociopathy, or between serial killers and podcasters, than you might think. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss at iwbpodcast.com and iwbpodcast on social media. Hi, this is Mouse. I'm Weens. <laughs> we have the Mouse and Weens podcast. Mouse and Weens. I'm a big sister in San Diego with kids and I'm married. And I have uh, no friends. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I do. I have friends. I just don't have any boyfriends or love. <laughs> anyway, Mouse and Weens podcast, you should listen to it. Yeah, it's, it's not really depressing. Fun. We talk about family stories, life and love, and kids, and all the things you're interested in. We promise. Yay! Celebrities in Hollywood, too. Poke your little turtle head out and come listen to us. <laughs> Mouse and Weens. Bye. Bye. Hello and welcome to the Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. I'm Phil Rude. I'm the dad. And I'm Austin Rude, and I'm the son who is forgetting his lines. Uh, why Why are you doing this to me? You're giving me the hi-hat already. <laughs> All right, listen. Okay. Uh, this is a podcast where we watch movies, and then we talk some bullshit on microphone or whatever what? you're just way off script today i like I'm, it i'm That's... trying to shake things up I and like also it. i'm no. disorganized no no off the cuff let's do it <laughs> i'm throwing this whole document away dad we're not wearing cuffs i don't know where you're getting this but you're already losing me and we're back all right all right <laughs> <laughs> um we are going to take a look at something specific, uh, if Austin can guess which hand I'm holding the penny in. Uh, but before we do that, uh, what have we been up to this week? Uh, what have we watched in the last week? Let's talk about it. Well, a few things, but what comes to mind specifically is Blade Runner. Blade Runner! We both went to go see Blade Runner The Final Cut. Yep. Uh, in theaters. In theaters. It's pretty cool. Last weekend it was showing down here. Uh, if you have a a theater near you, I think it's Flashback Cinema is the like the service that does like old older movies. Yeah, they but they rent out I think to like different the theaters different theater chains, the country, right? So um, yeah, but uh, yeah, Blade Runner was showing uh, down here last week, and you and I went. It was your first time seeing. Any cut of Blade Runner, correct? Ever, yeah. yeah. And it, introduction to that world. Yeah, uh, that's pretty pretty cool to, for the first time uh, you see Blade Runner, to see it in a theater. It was my first time seeing it on a theater, and, um, you know, it's one of those things where you see a movie a bunch of times, and then you go see it in a theater, and it's almost a different experience, and it's sort of like, this is what... The theater experience is supposed to, you know what I mean? Like, I, I love the theater experience. I, I do I do as well. I don't always like the people that are in theaters. That but is true. I do enjoy um, going to a movie theater and, and seeing a movie like Blade Runner that I've seen a bunch of times and finally seeing it on the big screen. I had a similar thing with uh, Pulp Fiction years ago. 
when that came back to theaters for like one night and it was the first time I ever watched it on a big screen. I, I think events like that are cool. I, I saw Monty Python and the Holy right. Grail in theaters. Uh, it's like an old theater in Chicago and it was super fun to go see it at like, it was a midnight show. Midnight showing, yeah. And that was my first time seeing the movie and I thought it was like hilarious. Now, what do you think? Uh, do you think that will uh, disappoint you in watching things like that again and not, you know, like you're being introduced to this thing? Uh, will everything pale in comparison on like a rewatch to you? I mean, I guess it depends on the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. I guess not. Maybe that's kind of a dumb question because that's the way movies have been for years. You go see them in the theater and then you watch them at home when they come out on video. It typically like, is less but, yeah. immersive, but it's still... Right. You know, it taps into that memory of, oh, remember when I saw this in theaters. But, so, um, I don't know. Just real uh, quick, um, without doing like a full review, what did you think of Blade Runner? Well, the opening shot, no, I <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> go into <Yeah>. everything. <laughs> I, I thought it was really good. I, I feel like there's a lot of high uh concepts in there like sure it's got commentary on a lot of things and i i i can just tell it got a lot from like the book it's based on and kind of like because uh i looked mm -hmm. up the author of the book phil k dick yeah. right uh and he also wrote man in the high castle mm -hmm. and a few other really interesting High concept sci-fi kind of stuff. Uh, so. Total Recall is based on um, a story he wrote. Um, okay. Uh, there's a thing about like Philip K. Dick. If you read his stuff, it's very conceptual and very kind of like almost not solid. It's all just about the ideas, you know, and the themes. And so it's then when, less story. when they're, when they're translated into movies, I feel like a lot of times it is just taking those ideas and almost building an entire, almost unrelated story that just deals with these same kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, like total recall. Um, I have read that story. It's called something like, uh, we'll remember it for you wholesale or something like that. It's about implanting memories. Right. It has nothing to do with like Arnold Schwarzenegger going to Mars, but that's what the movie Total Recall is. And um and I think it sort of elevates the movie. It it takes this Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that could have just been this dumb action movie and just injects all these great Philip K. Dick ideas into it. And this also could have just been about a cop hunting robots, Blade Runner. But it really is about like what what does it mean to be alive? And robots meeting their maker. Right. And it, it's, it, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah, right. It, it becomes automatically more high-minded just by bringing it from this source material. Right. And it's like each character, like I haven't read the book it's based on, but each character kind of I feel like represents maybe one of those ideas. Like the android who doesn't know she's an android and right. that kind of stuff. And then, you know, the inevitable, you know, is... Deckard and Andrew, you know, like these other ideas that makes you question these other like reality. ambiguous things. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you had a, a fun experience with it because I think I told you, I think when we left, like, um, 
a, a little bit into the movie, it I was reminded like how slow the movie is, and I'm like, oh no, I hope Austin's not bored. You know, like I hope we didn't go to this theater and you're just bored by this movie. So we came out of it, and you were like, I loved it, and I'm like, oh, you know, thank you, you know, because. There's almost nothing to react to in Blade Runner. It's just a movie that sort of happens in front of you. It It is kind of slow. And so you but... don't know what the other person that you're there with is thinking about it. Nobody's reacting. There's no. There's nothing to laugh at. There's no jump scares. Right. It's, so it's just sort of like this immersive movie you experience. No, it, it was like I was captivated. And then it ended and I was like, I want more. I Partly because I thought the ending was just like a weird note to end on i just yeah. expected like it another is. 10 minutes i was like oh okay i guess right, we're going home like now that. yeah like um but there is more there is and i'm excited uh have you watched 2049 yet i have not okay. i'm i'm gonna wait on it but originally i told you like my whole goal in seeing blade runner was so that i could watch 2049 right. because mm -hmm. the director who made dune and arrival and all these classics Denny that i love yeah uh, I was like, I gotta see this movie, but I need to see the original first. Right. And sure, it's more than that. It's it's more than just an original that I want to see the sequel now. I really like this movie. So good. Yeah. Well, there's a uh, anime esque series on HBO as well. Yeah, I saw that. Like Black Locust. Black Lotus. Lotus. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, but anime's for nerds. Well, so I really wouldn't. Be I so sure I started watching that. the first episode this past week, and uh, I couldn't get past the animation style. Um, it's sort of like the uh, Love, Death, and Robots. You know, some of the animation is sort of uh, uncanny valley kind uh, of yeah issue, and it's one of those things where I'm sure if I let myself sit with it long enough. It'll be fine, but I just on that particular day, I just didn't have the patience for it. So I'm I'm interested to see what's there. What else yeah. is in this world? Yeah, I'm. Uh, it it's a little bit of a aftermarket kind of thing. It seems like, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, twenty forty nine. Big thumbs up here. So I'm yep. looking forward to watching that again. It's also like three other versions of the original. Yeah, movie you can that watch. Can you watch. can watch cuts of Blade Runner all day long, and uh, you know. Yeah, then you start playing the game of what's different. Right. Yeah. Let me make my cut of the movie and just <laughs> yeah. add in I'm everything I'm sure there are I fan like. cuts out there, but yeah. Uh, anyway, that's not what we watched for the show this week, even though we're talking about it. Right. Which is all good. Um, this week we watched the 1990 gangster uh, slash neo-noir film... Miller's Crossing, in which a man divides his loyalties between opposing sides of a gang war. This movie stars Gabriel Byrne as Tom, Albert Finney as Leo, Marcia Gay Harden as Verna, John Turturro as Bernie, and John Polito as Johnny Casper. This movie was written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, and it was drawn from source material by Dashiell Hammett, which I did not know. Uh, apparently this draws heavily from his novels The Glass Key and Red Harvest. So uh, so not a direct adaptation, but... Right, I think more like inspired by Dashiell Hammett was sort of like a pulp uh, detective writer. Um, like 
crime writer back in depression era gangster days. Uh, but I, I believe, um, those novels also served as, uh, inspiration for the samurai movie Yojimbo, which was also an inspiration for, uh, like Fistful of Dollars and the Spaghetti Westerns. It was, it's the whole, uh, man in the middle playing both sides of a feud against each other. Okay. Uh, Yojimbo is a fantastic samurai movie. It's, it's unreal how good that is. But it is, then you watch that and then you, it's another one of those samurai movies that, you know, born out of a, born out of gangster source material turned into a samurai movie, which turned into a Western. Uh, Bruce Willis made a movie in the nineties after this, that is a, another adaptation of the same idea. Um, That's wild to see how it, that it translates. Is, right. It, it back to gangster movies. So it really is, um, a, a cool idea. And, uh, the, the Coen brothers, I think wrote this, uh, in a way that, like you said, not a direct adaptation, because this is very much like in their style of of writing. It feels like mm-hmm. the dialogue's really smart. It's really fast. There's a lot of moving parts to it, and there's just a ton of symbolism through the whole thing. Yeah, between this and uh, what's the other uh, the western. Uh, True Grit. True Grit, yeah. yeah. I, I see a lot of similarities sure. in the dialogue and whatnot. And I'm like, oh, I'm I'm picking up on what is their style. Also an adaptation, uh, but of, very yeah. much having their fingerprints on it. You know sure. what I mean? Like, it, it reads very much like a Cohen uh, story. So, um, aside from that, I did want to shout out additional cast members that I thought were worth mentioning. Uh, Steve Buscemi, who's in, like, one scene, but is so entertaining to watch. I love that. every time he pops up. I'm uh, like, oh, hey. He plays Mink. Uh, Mike Starr is Frankie. He's the big goon who gets hit by the hit with the chair. Uh-huh. Uh, and Mike Starr has 246 acting credits. Uh, going back to like the late 70s, you'll know him best as the hitman in Dumb and Dumber who gets killed by the pepper on the on, on the, the hamburger. <laughs> How's your burger? <laughs> but uh, uh, he was also in Goodfellas, which this movie opened against. Um, he's in Ed Wood, the Tim Burton movie about Ed Wood. Hudsucker Proxy, also Coen Brothers. He's in just a ton of stuff. Um, Michael Jeter played Adolf, who's in like one scene. Um, uh, but you like, everybody knows this guy. He's in open range. He's in Waterworld. He's in the Polar Express. He's one of the mercenaries in, uh, uh, Jurassic Park three. I guess he had a recurring role on Sesame street for a long time that I didn't know until I looked up his credits, but so that's a hitman. Uh, <laughs> Michael Jeter, Michael Jeter is great. And he's another one of those that guys that you just see in a bunch of stuff. And I didn't realize uh, he died several years ago. He was only like 50 years old. Um, oh, wow. But he has this really prolific career. He had like 80 credits in a abbreviated career. This guy worked a lot and just was in a ton of stuff. I like when that happens. That For sure. someone's just in everything. Yeah. Um, it's But it's really cool just to see these people. Uh, I think the Coens are great at casting character actors in their movies 
so that the the world looks populated by regular people. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. it's not just all like these glamorous movie stars. Everybody in here, Gabriel Byrne and Albert Finney, like these are basically character actors, like just, you know, always playing kind of a that guy. And uh, John Polito is Johnny Casper. That guy's awesome. That guy is so good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he's always like ranting and raving. He's out of breath. He's sweating. He's angry. He's got the hair trigger on him. And he's just, I don't know, it, it, something you feel bad about laughing when he smacks the crap out of his kid. But it just comes out of nowhere. It just kind of shocks you into laughing at it. It is really funny. He's such an overwhelmed guy um, who just has this really short temper. But um, he's super fun to watch in this movie. I totally thought that was Danny DeVito, by the way, for like a good portion of this movie. You know, at the time this movie was made, uh, yeah, I could see like Danny DeVito and him looking a lot alike. He, like, mannerisms, too. Mm -hmm. Like, there's just, I I was like, okay. This kind of small man, overcompensating, kind of big energy, you know, like, put forth. Uh, And Danny DeVito is, yeah, he can play that character really well, as we've seen for years on, even, like, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's... Yeah. It, it, you know, this I, I, big I, energy from this little man. I was yeah. thinking like the dad from Matilda, but if he was a uh, yeah, gangster. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's all uh, the same kind of like, Danny DeVito is great at just playing like a jerk. Like, yeah. just playing with some, he's, I think, in reality, like a really sweet guy. He is. That he's everybody kind of loves, but like he's, he's always been great at playing this real asshole ever since, you know, like taxi back in the seventies, you know, he's just always been great at that. But, um, mm-hmm. but John Polito, I think brings a similar energy to this where he's just like, it's huge energy coming off of that guy. Yeah. Those moments where he starts r- ranting the out of breath thing you're talking right. about, like, Oh my God. I was like, calm down, bro. There's a weird thing about like playing angry, like angry acting, where a lot of times it's just shouting. But, like, I think there's, like, some real subtlety that he that he has about it. Like, when he runs out of breath, screaming. You I'm, know? like, afraid he's going to have a heart attack. Yes! It, it, like, constantly waiting for him to drop and keel over. Um, but let's, uh, let's start... Let's get off the, the cast for a minute. And I just want your general thoughts on this movie. Did you enjoy this? Um, I know you mentioned you were confused a couple times. Was this kind of a chore for you and you didn't like it? This is not a movie I would go for. Typically, I what I put down in my notes is like culture shock. Like the whole gangster thing. Like they use a bunch of lingo that I don't understand. The first 20 minutes of this movie, which is meant to be the introduction to these characters, right. is so... In my taste, poorly done, even though I know it's not poorly done. I know it's well executed. It's intentional. But, like... It's jarring. I can't understand it. So, I'm, like, trying to figure out who's this character. Okay, what are they doing? What's the goal? What is going on here? And I got into it. uh, So, as the movie went on, I, like, started really, like, oh, shit, is is he gonna get caught? Like... Right. What's going to happen as he's playing both sides? But uh, 
it took me a while to feel kind of emotionally invested. Um, so ultimately I ended up liking the movie. It was just that beginning bit. I was like, what is this? You're talking about like pre-credits, like the way the movie opens in the middle of a conversation about guys who aren't there. Sure. There's that. But then also when they're introducing, uh, what's her name? The, the woman, Verna. Verna, yep. yeah, and the, like, first five scenes of this movie, where they're introducing everything, it was very hard to follow for me. Uh, so that kind of painted, like, I, I would have shut this movie off if I was watching it really? alone. I, I would have. And, Interesting. But I loved the ending of this, like, so much right. that I'm glad I stuck it out. Because I did end up understanding it. It was just, like... It took me a while to get there. And that kind of took the place of like it just enjoying the movie. I was doing a lot of mental work to keep up. Yeah. I don't think you're alone there. I think that's almost by design. I think the Coens take this and kind of throw you in the deep end of the pool, you know? And then you're they're like, he'll he'll figure it out. You know, like like they kind of just throw you in. The you do the first a uh, handful of scenes are people talking about people we haven't been introduced yet. So you don't have a connection to them. Um, and they are, they're using a different slang. They're different, uh, a totally different vernacular. Like 1930s speak is almost like a foreign language. You know, right. I think you, I think we were talking at dinner one night about um, the idea of like time traveling, like back to the future style. And that if you, like, went 30 years in either direction and just spoke to people, like, just the slang is so different that people wouldn't know what you're talking about. Like... Yeah, they'd be like, what the... They'd be like, what what are you talking about? What is, you know... Why do you sound so crazy? What is drip? What is, you know, like... I don't know what the kids are saying, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's... (laughs) In the way... Logan has had to explain so much... Uh, you know, poggers, you know, like, like yes, this kind yeah. of shit. He's had to explain so much stuff to me just because I'm older. Can you imagine going to a completely different time? So when you watch something like this and they're actually taking, I don't know if this is how people spoke in the thirties or how movies that were made in the thirties, cause it's a lot of that. It's a lot of that, that quick staccato fast dialogue you throwing in a lot of like weird words that are slang some of them are um like ethnic slurs yeah and and they're just they're they're thrown in there so fast and and so casually that it does take a minute to sort out what the hell they're talking about it's it's like uh kind of this is the perception of what people in that era talked like. Right. It is, it's almost an interpretation of that. He can come in. It's an interpretation of that, um, even if it wasn't completely accurate. Like, uh, the HBO show Deadwood. Uh Uh-huh. Are you, like, there's... It's an incredibly, like, profane show. Like, it uses 
all of our modern day swear words, the heaviest swear words we have. But those weren't like accurate to how people cussed back in the gold rush days. But it's so that we can understand. It's so kind it's, of. right, and because the the old style of swearing was like dagnamit and these things that have become like Yosemite Sam swear words they've become like cartoon and it's like people won't take this seriously so we're going to stylize it and I feel like there's there's some of that going on in this but what I think the Coens win is what you just said like they let eventually it all catches up you you catch up to what's going on you're aware of what's going on even if you're not aware at the very beginning that's fine they sort of trust their audience to figure it out as they go yeah I I don't know. I understand that approach, but also I feel like I missed out on the first 20 minutes of this movie being mad at it that I didn't understand what the hell they're saying. Like, That's the way they trick you into repeat viewings. Oh, so you had to keep going back to Blockbuster and renting this movie back in the day. No, thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a scam, Dad. Uh, nice no, try. it's not because this movie rules. Uh, I, I love this movie. Um, it's a good movie I think and I think you are rewarded for watching it multiple times I have not seen this movie I own this movie but I've not seen it in in a long time until we watched it today and I was I was reminded I think how um charming isn't the word but how immersive this movie is I really I really get drawn into the world that they make in this movie and I really get invested in uh tom's uh con is that the right word is that the word i want i guess he's playing everybody uh but he's barely saying ahead i just get really invested in watching tom sort of navigate this gang war it's a really good drama is what i think this movie is at like its heart like that's the core of kind of the tension and all of the action is built around the drama right it's it's the drama between um the drama of the relationships between the characters it's between tom and leo and how he's betrayed leo and verna and how she's betrayed leo and she's betrayed tom and uh you know then questioning the loyalty of you know that's kind of what tom does there's so much betrayal in this world that he's just sort of snaking through both sides laying doubt with everybody the dane and mink and all of these other characters and he's like can you really trust them and it's just i don't know there's something really fun about watching him go through this world and do that kind of thing yeah like from scene to scene i don't know who he is playing until the next scene right and then like like when he uh goes to the girlfriend or whatever and is like, "Oh, where's your brother staying? I'm I'm going to go get him." And then he immediately gives the address up to the other guy and I'm like, "Oh, maybe he's playing this guy and he's actually going to help the brother and oh, oh no, he's going to shoot him." Oh no, wait, he's going to let him go. And then <laughs> it's, it's a whole thing. There there is a whole thing and I think also, Tom doesn't know what he's going to do scene to scene. I think Tom went out to the woods with Bernie and actually intended to kill him. I 
I think he intended for the other people to kill him, and then when he found out, oh, I have to do it, he didn't right. have the guts, kind of. Oh, I think for thing. sure he didn't want to kill him, but um, but I thought he was going to. You're he, right. He wanted him dead. He was. He was initially just going to. Oh yeah, they'll take him out and kill him. I'll just drive them out to Miller's Crossing, and they'll do it because that was his ploy to get their trust, right? In order to perform the double cross, I think he really wanted to perform. Uh, I don't know. I guess, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to say. He's working for Leo the whole time, but you don't really know it until the end. And he even says he isn't really sure if he knew it all along. Right? If he he wasn't sure how it was going to play out. Yeah. Um, but these are all just like the mechanics of this movie. There's like, uh, there's a ton of moving parts to it. There's a lot going on. I, I, I don't blame you for finding it hard to follow. I don't know if this is, uh, if, if you can hear our cat, uh, Django is in here with us right now and he is purring. So if, if you hear a little, uh rumble on the recording uh, that, he, that's he watched part of the movie with us Django, and now he wants to voice his thoughts he stormed out in in outrage over the uh jewish slurs that were the outdated jewish that's <laughs> right slurs uh, um um but uh he does want to weigh in now so if you hear him uh apologies uh Let's see. Uh, moving parts. Yes, this movie has a lot of moving parts, and it created a bout of writer's block for the Coen brothers. And uh, so they took a break from the script, and they wrote Barton Fink, which also stars John Turturro. Okay. Um, so this kind of so in- they struggled with like kind of making this movie work. I, yeah, I think th- I think there was so mu- the plot is so intricate that they they ended up up against the wall they took a break so they could come back to it with fresh eyes and they got barton fink which is another one of their like really critically acclaimed movies and it is about writer's block (laughs) uh uh barton fink i really recommend there's a lot of this is a pocket of like 90s era coen brothers where i think they were just making some really interesting things and i think this is one of this is one of those things dad you recommend everything by the coen brothers I kinda let's do. not pretend no I, I, I i'm not pretending at all i am a i am kind of a coen brothers apologist there i think they just are maybe the most consistent uh consistently good and interesting filmmakers uh in the last Jeez, how long have they been going? Since the mid-80s? I don't know. I From so, the things I've seen... The last 40 years, you know, they've... It, it, even even things that maybe don't... They're not like your favorite Coen movies. They're interesting. They're sort of like... Uh, just entertaining to watch on some level. They, they catch your attention. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I... I, I like what I've seen of them. Like, I'm not like trying to trash them right now. No, I'm, no, I know, but and, but I'm just like, like it, that, no, I won't deny that I am I am a big Coen Brothers fan. So it's and then like the the question always comes down to like what is your favorite Coen Brothers movie? It's one of those things where it's sort of like I'm going to see what I know about you by your favorite Coen Brothers movie, and like it's a shifting list for me. But this this one and Inside Lewin Davis are always near the top for me. Like these are 
Cohen movies that I love because I think they're really interesting character studies. They're completely different movies, but um, but they're they're good like thematically. They're about like uh, uh, just constantly kind of running into a wall, and you know, like an underdog kind of story. Right. There's, oh, there's this problem. How are we going to get out of it? Oh, the way we got out of it causes a new problem until eventually there's a satisfying right. resolution. On one level or another. I don't know if Inside Lewin Davis ever comes to a satisfying, like, Hollywood ending, but there is some resolution to it at the end at the end of the day. Um, I, I can't not talking, speak to that. We're yeah. not talking about that movie, but... Uh, but in this one, it does. It does kind of like wrap up. His long con kind of works out. I, I feel like when he kills the brother, that's the real click of, oh, okay. And he kills uh, Johnny Casper. Well, yeah, he, but... He doesn't, but like... Th- that was always coming, he, I Right, felt but like... that's it. He's reached his goal of killing everybody that he wanted to kill. Everybody that stood to threaten him. Right, I, I feel like when... He's like, oh, we're going to pin this on the Dane. And it's like, hang on. The Dane's dead. And then he ties it up in that neat little bow by actually, I have to kill you too. Killing Bernie, right. Which is also satisfying on a personal level. Because this guy, he... Is a total piece of shit. <laughs> the, the first and only time this guy shows that he has a heart in this movie and the person he saves immediately backstabs him and goes, you gave me power over right. you. Right. I'm going to use it to milk you for everything you've got. And then he gets to, he gets his second chance and he kills him. It's these um, scenes where John Totoro comes to Tom's apartment and, you know, tries to you know, tries to con him in one way or another. I think they're just great. I think they're... Because John Turturro it, it plays this complete weasel uh, of a guy. You know what I mean? Like, he he's just this, this skeezy, piece-of-shit guy who's always scamming somebody. And it's one of those things where he just gives off a vibe of if he's talking, he's lying. Like, that's who this guy is. And it comes across so perfectly. <clears throat> I think John Turturro is brilliant. Um, we saw him recently in The Batman. Right. Um, but, like, he has this huge history. Uh, and he's he's good in The Batman. Like, because he's John Turturro. But, like, just go through, like, all his work with the Coens. Uh, his work on The Night Of. There's a miniseries on HBO called The Night Of, where he plays uh, the lawyer to this accused murderer and he's just god that character is so uh kind of complicated and Totoro's so good in it you know <laughs> um but in this one it's just this is a very simple character and you you know exactly who he is is this like little schemer but he's so good at playing it that you hate him like you kind of want to kill him yourself, and and you kind of get where Tom is, where he's like, yeah, give him up because he's like, this guy is worth nothing to nobody. This guy's just a total piece of shit. See, I I was on his side. 
Like, I understood the whole thing with Tom's, like, listen, you're risking your whole empire falling apart in this whole war over one over guy, guy who right. you wouldn't care about unless you're right and he's your future brother-in-law uh but like i i don't know that first introduction scene where he's in his apartment like i just kind of see him as oh he's another gangster just like the others being here do this for me here do that for me everyone's kind of coming to uh this guy with his requests uh but you kind of see the scummy side of him after he comes back from supposedly being killed. Right. Uh, and especially, oh, that end scene where he starts begging, please, no, no, right. in the same exact tone that he used the first time. And you just know it's not going to work. You know, it's not genuine. You know, right. you, know, you it's, can it's see just, how it's just like him it playing is. people. Right. I don't know. There's a there's a thing I think that sets Bernie apart from everybody else because Bernie is the guy who pretends to be your friend, and I don't feel like anybody else in this movie is pretending or putting on airs about how they feel about anybody. We see it all around Tom. People dislike people don't like Tom through this whole movie because he's he is a dick. He's kind of a nihilist asshole. Sure. Uh, but he, but they kind of, they tolerate Tom. This is what I like about this movie is, is there is this idea around there of like this um, integrity. There's like this false integrity that these gangsters have, right? Like uh, they don't like Tom, but Tom's good at what he does. So they tolerate Tom. They're going to keep him around. They anyway. don't like that the Dane is gay, but... The Danes good at killing people. So they keep them around. You know what I mean? Like, there's this sort of, like, tolerance for people they don't like if they're... And it's almost like this... um, It's almost like this American dream thing of, like, you can rise above... If you're good at what you do, you can be successful regardless of who you are or where you come. You know, it's like the... There's, like, I think a bigger idea because I don't know if Tom's an immigrant or a first-generation American, but both sides are like rooted in this immigrant crime empire, right? That's kind of the whole the Irish era Irish of... versus the Italians yeah. in in this city. And and so like the idea of the American dream would be very powerful to these people. And it's not there's nothing on the surface here. I th- I just like that it's it's there in kind of the behavior of these characters. Yeah, and and also he gets to uh smart mouth them in really funny ways and kind of just undermine them while still working for them right. like i love when he tells uh the one guy oh i i don't tell i t- told you so i i hate people who say that and then he finally <laughs> says i told you so says, i think i think uh the dane and and mink are in he's like well i told you so and he's like what <laughs> yeah like he's just blatantly an ass and he's an asshole to verna and verna kind of i i think verna likes him because he is that way i think she kind of like is like you know where you stand with with tom you know but like he gets by with being who he is because of this thing that he does you know he's good at playing people he's good at advising people 
Right. Um, Verna says at one point, uh, uh, why do you, why do you hate him? Uh, she's talking about Bernie. Why do you hate him? He says, I don't hate anybody. And she goes, you don't like anybody either. And it's like, that's Tom. Exactly. I think he doesn't mm-hmm. hate anybody. He doesn't begrudge anybody anything. He's just trying to get what's best for him. Yeah. And maybe there are certain people he dislikes that he's like, oh, well, if I can also step on you to get further ahead. Sure. But Uh, I don't think he's ever doing it out of malice. Like, he's not just some out for revenge, like, I'm going to ruin everyone's career. He's just like, how can I get my next leg up? Right. I think he does like Leo. I, th- I think he does feel some loyalty to Leo at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but he knows he kind of burned that bridge by sleeping with Vern. Verna, yeah. Verna. He, he did, and yet Leo still asked him to come back and work for him. Again, because he's good at what he does, you know. A- except in that scene, though, he says, oh, it'll be the same as as before, and like, I think we as the viewer and also Tom know that that's not true. It's not even possible. Right. Right. So he is like, no, you're being crazy here. Like, it's not going to work. Bye. There is a, there is a a sadness to that though. You know, despite like these characters and I wrote it in the, in the show doc, everyone is terrible. Like there, there's no like upstanding characters in in this movie. Like everybody's flawed. Everybody's kind of a piece of shit. Everybody's, playing some game to benefit themselves i don't know that kid uh he seemed really nice the kid who stole the toupee (laughs) (laughs) he just wanted something you know maybe he needed that for his theater club he wanted a souvenir from seeing his first dead body in the alley that's right do you think verna killed that guy i i don't think so no no i because when it came down to it when uh the guy came to get answers out of her. She pointed a gun at him and she didn't have the balls to do it. She she let him get too close. I, I think if I think it was a question of does she have it in her? And then that scene kind of showed to me, no, she doesn't. Interesting. Okay. She's still got guts. She's still like Sure. No, a really I don't cool think character. that I don't think that's what uh what would make her a weak character i don't think she's weak by any by any stretch i'm not basing that on whether or not she killed him i just i i kind of feel like she did kill him and it all got pinned on mink to by bernie to protect her right he also knew mink is dead and it doesn't matter you can pin anything on him now that's real convenient right uh i don't know i think she might have had him killed but i I just, I don't see her doing that. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. It's a know. possibility. It could go either way. Yeah. I think she's a great character either way. Which is kind of why that's ambiguous, is you get to decide, right? Uh, Isn't that, because that's the yeah, one unanswered I mean, question in this movie. It's all, well, I mean, they do answer by just saying it was Mink, and but everything is by somebody's word. You know what I mean? Like and everything you can't is trust just anyone. Like, that's kind of it, yeah. Um, which brings in like the the idea of ethics. Ethics is brought up in the very first scene. Uh, John Polito's character, Johnny Casper, keeps talking about ethics. I mean, you want to deal with people with ethics. 
as he's fixing fights and, you know, doing these big crimes, he's talking about behaving ethically. And I just think there's a real, like, there's a really interesting thread of, like, what passes for ethics in this world. You know, it, like, and, and a lot of it, I think, comes down to loyalty. But even that is just sort of like, yeah, they know that Tom isn't loyal. He slept with his boss's uh, girlfriend and betrayed him. Like, but he still takes Tom in. And I just, I think the idea of ethics in a world of gangsters is, I think it's funny. And I think it's interesting to watch how these characters think they're behaving ethically in an unethical system. Well, I at one point, he's like, welcome to joining the good guys or whatever. Right. And now go kill a man. And right. like, it's mind boggling. But that is, I think that is reality. For some people, I think, like, a man's moral code is, that's what's ethical, and, like, but it's all about person, personal things, like, sure, kill a man if he inconveniences your illegal business, right? Like, that's okay, God would allow that, like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know, it's just about, like, this weird code of conduct in people who have no no moral compass you know what i mean and it's just sort of like a it, it speaks to the idea of uh we hear this a lot now um everybody thinks they're the main character right they, everybody's the hero of their own story um and and i just think that's sort of like reflected here and like look i'm trying to ethically fix this fight to make money for me and then somebody does something unethical like tell people that I fixed the fight. Like, it's just sort of like, well, yeah, it's all unethical. Like the, the inability to see that you are also doing something unethical. I think it's funny. I think it's like a real, like sort of like dark joke that the Coens are telling. And these people think they're behaving. And, and you see it in a lot of mob movies. You see it in the Sopranos. You see it in stuff like that, where they're constantly talking about, you know, this is the way to behave. And the reality being like, there's no honor among thieves. Like there's that, that saying's as old as time for that reason. Like, no, no, you're a thief. You don't, you don't behave honorably. Like right. stop pretending that, that you have some like higher, higher, uh, uh, standing. They, they look the other way, like, Oh, t about their own actions. But the moment someone crosses them or whatnot, it's, Oh look, you're doing something unethical. Right. Even though I was doing that last Tuesday. You 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 stole you stole something from me that I stole from someone else. How dare you? Like this, right. this kind of thing. But uh I, yeah, I think it's I think it's a, a really kind of interesting element of this movie. I don't know that it's a theme. Maybe it is, because it runs throughout and it is sort of like always calling into question. Uh, what Tom's doing. You know, yeah. Tom's betraying somebody all the time. And I, I think this movie kind of pokes fun. Like, there's a lot of jokes about the culture of the time. Like, you were saying, like, when he slaps his kid, like... Right. It's, it's just kind of funny because it's mocking how people acted. 
Yeah. Like the whole the whole thing is like it's one of those things like Fargo. Like I think a lot of people's instinct is to laugh at the people in Fargo. But really they're just regular people. And to people who don't live in the Midwest, it looks very strange. And I think there's a lot of that here too, where it's like this is like the 1930s. Is like here's here's Johnny Casper's kid, and he's like this fat kid in a sailor suit who just is constantly uh, uh, wailing and crying, and like he's not very bright, and he's kind of like this baby Huey character. Uh, and it's just it's so bizarre to like a modern audience to see. A kid in a sailor costume, you know, a, a sailor suit as like a regular thing to wear around town. And just to see someone who's so, so slow and doesn't get that he can't just barge, you know, he's like this spoiled kid. I don't know. There's something funny about that. I don't know if it was ever commonplace or it's just some weird movie stereotype of old mm-hmm. days. But then you present it to a modern audience and it just... It comes off as silly, and but in a, in an intentional way, like but, it's funny. But also his his dad going, "You ever want kids?" And he's like, "I don't like kids." And he's like, "Oh, you don't have a fully rounded life or whatever." Right. As he's like, it's again that thing he doesn't see the hypocrisy. He's being like this dad figure, but also he's trying to like overthrow this crime empire. Right, and he's. As he he beats his kid again, I don't mean to laugh at the idea of of beating a child, but like he slaps his kid and then he the kid cries and then he's like, "Oh, did somebody hit you?" It's like, "Yeah, you <laughs> hit him." Like, you know, like, so he's like he's both a caring dad and an abusive dad at the same time, and it's like one side of him doesn't know that the other side of him exists. It's, it's it, wild. It's, it's it's a weird disconnect. And it, you're right. I think it, it plays as funny because that is, I feel like there used to be sort of a, a time when that was how people parented, like <laughs> where they got nothing of, of hitting their kid and then being like, well, uh, you know, get over it. Right. Oh, oh, what are you going to cry about it? Well, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like. Uh, I, I, there's a bigger conversation to have there, but you're, it's just, this movie does such a interesting job of, of looking honestly at old, old tropes and sort of like old lifestyles. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of like, uh. I walked in on you watching a madman Mad scene. Man. Yes, I was going to bring it up. It it just kind of shows like the absurdity. Like I don't remember what it was, but the scene like all the guys were talking and just saying like some dumb misogynistic. Sure, it's, thing it's, it's and, just full of sexism that right. they don't even think twice about saying. And and it's funny because of how stupid they look, of how absurd this scenario right. is that they're really involved in and they're not talking about it like like there's no character going hey guys this really isn't cool like they just show it to the audience and let the audience go yeah like we understand like these aren't terrible people but they're they're not behaving in a way that's acceptable like these are very flawed people and like there's even stuff about parenting in there 
where uh, uh, Betty Draper walks into the bathroom and her daughter, who's like 10, is smoking a cigarette. And she grabs her and she's like, what are you doing? You could have burned the house down. It's like, you know, like, this is really, and it is, it's it's darkly funny to watch it now and, and look back and go, that's so fucking absurd. But it's, it's also presented in this really like, yes, you guys smoke like chimneys. Of course, your kids are going to steal cigarettes. Of course, they're going to pick and, that and, up. And, and pick that up. And your only reaction to it is like, oh my God, don't start this horrible habit. <laughs> you react to it as you could have burned the house down. <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's totally insane. But, um, and yeah, there's a, there's a flavor of that here with, with showing it. The, um, the absurdity of just how normal it is for the mayor and the chief of police to just be on the payroll of whoever's paying more. Right. Every time they show up in a meeting with the mobster, it's like... <laughs> they, they, you know, the mayor and the chief. And the, and then the uh, I like how Tom is in each club as it's getting busted. Yeah. And he comes out and the he's, chief of police is there. And he, he goes and he's like, well, I'm just the chief of police. But what do I know? And it's just... It's such a great, like, mirror. They even mirror those shots where... Uh, they're on opposite sides of the, they're shot from different ways. Right. Um, but it, I, I think, I think it's, it's a great like visual language to this movie as well to do that, to kind of bookend Tom's back and forth with those, those club scenes. Right. And there's something, I find it weird cause there's a few moments in this money that, in this movie that are genuinely funny, like just like laugh out loud moments. Yeah. Uh, which feels like it shouldn't work because then the next scene is like super intense. You're going to kill a guy or are you? But like we aren't sure. And like there's also like this super just tension, like yeah. intense tension. It's ju- it's there kind of like just under the surface. You know what I mean? Like there's just this like underlying tension, but it's always, always there. Right. Because you don't know what is going to happen. You don't know who's going to do what and how it's going to affect this trickle. Cause everything, this is dominoes hitting dominoes. So like right. every, everything affects the thing that happens next. Everything, so you're like, yes, how is this going to play out? And how is the thing after going to play out? Everything matters. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi's in this movie. He sure is. Uh, Sam Raimi plays the cop uh, when they bomb the they bomb the uh, Irish social club. Uh, he's the cop who uh, starts firing. He has like two pistols and he gets gunned down. But uh, yeah, Sam Raimi, who we watched his uh, Evil Dead trilogy last season. Right. And we talked about Sam Raimi a lot. And Sam Raimi and the Coen brothers are uh, friends from... Way back in the day, so I think it's I think it's really cool that he he showed up in in this movie. He has a cameo. It's this. it's so sad to see him gunned down before he could direct the <laughs> Spider Man trilogy. And I would have loved it if it was all those old tiny cars, and then uh, Sam Raimi's Oldsmobile. Oh my god! Yeah, seventies <laughs> like Oldsmobile uh, Delta eighty eight sitting there has to have it in everything. Oh, it has to be in everything. But yeah. Um, He's in that, and I saw a uh, Red Letter Media did a 
a review episode of Sam Raimi's Darkman that he made. You've mentioned that a few times. Uh, and it's rumored that the Coen brothers are in like one shot of that movie that they have a cameo. But it's like unclear. It's yes, they're um driving the Oldsmobile. Um okay. and and it drives by real fast and it's it's rumored that the Coen brothers are in the car and that you can but you can't really make them out. If you pause there. Yeah. at this Somebody, exact they second. Did, they did pause it and try to see. They're like, uh, kind of maybe looks like the Coen brothers. It's like not, not at all the body type. But people are like <laughs> right? really stretching of, it. Kind of. But uh, yeah. But anyway, like that relationship is there. And I did tell you, I don't know for sure. I didn't look this up. But there is a scene when the Dane is killed. Uh-huh. And that feels to me so much like a Sam Raimi directed scene. It's dark. It's got these Dutch angles. There's a lot of like chaos going on. There's a lot of quick zooms in on shit going on. And it just feels like, I wonder if Sam Raimi stepped in and directed this scene because it's like tonally appropriate to what's going on, but it doesn't look like any other scene in, in the movie. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised when you have, like, creators that just are, like, buddies, sure. they're there, he's on set, like... <laughs> he, he was there, yeah, totally. Yeah. They're like, we've got this scene coming up where, you know, it's really dark, and maybe he gave an opinion on, oh, you should shoot it like this, yeah, with the it, fire in the background, and the guy screaming Make it whatnot. really look like hell. Like, yeah. that, that is sort of the feel, the vibe of this scene. It's a great scene. It's super intense. Uh, but it doesn't, even like the other dark stuff, like like the ending when he finally kills Bernie, um, that's shot more like a traditional film noir movie with the big shadows, with, you know, they're shooting everything looking up with the light coming from underneath and, mm-hmm. and casting these really dark shadows of, of guns and, and uh, you know, the railing and everything looks very much... That's a dark scene that looks like an old movie, but the the killing of the Dane is like a dark scene that looks like a surreal sort of experimental film. It looks it looks like no no other scene looks like that in this movie. I I think you're right. I so think it, it does kind of just stand out to me. I think like the closest I also get uh, the scene where the house is burning down. Like there's oh, the a few Danny shots. Boy scene. Yeah. yeah, there's a few shots in there that are kind of similar, but it doesn't have the same kind of tone that that scene does. It's not as surreal, but it is like crazy violent. Like it's it's over the top in its violence. Right, like like when he's shooting the guy and the guy's <laughs> shooting his gun and he's shooting the guy up in the window after he jumps out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the guy's like shooting the chandelier and starts spinning and it's just like a million bullets flying in, in that scene. It's almost like making fun of just those guns and kind of those yeah. action movies. Yeah, I think a little bit. I think there is like a, um, uh, I wouldn't call it a satire, but like a an idea of like, we're going to take this way over the top in the same vein of, you know, not quite as over the top as RoboCop, but like 
there are scenes in RoboCop that are just insanely violent just for the sake of being super extreme to, to where they're not violent in a horrific way anymore. You start laughing at them. Yeah. And like this, this, there's a similar vibe it's, to it's, this. It's like self-aware. Yes. Uh, but I, I love that scene. I love the, the whole Tommy gun scene. It, it's great because it also shows that Tommy is this badass that kind of earned uh, Leo. Sorry, yeah. yeah. With a Tommy gun, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know that... All of these Irish white names, I cannot keep any of it straight. Okay, Leo is this badass who's right. earned his spot, like... Yes. And you can kind of see what he means earlier in the movie when he's like, you've gone soft for this girl, like... Right. He... He has this in him. You just don't see it up until that moment. Is the idea of, um, you know, don't mistake that that he doesn't go out and murder people anymore. Don't mistake him for being like soft and right. not being a, a hard ass. J- just because he's the bureaucrat at the top, right? Ordering the kills doesn't mean he can't also do it himself. He doesn't need to be. Pre- you know, he has a guard there. And, and, and the guard is useless, you know, pretty much outside of setting the house on fire and warning him. But like, it's yeah, I I, I like that aspect too. I like whenever it's sort of like um, a a more modern version of that is like in I don't remember which one it is, but like when you see that Nick Fury in the MCU is actually like a badass. He's not just like. Oh, you're talking about the best Captain American mo- movie, uh, Civil War, where he has the car chase scene? Yeah. Where, is it Civil War? Where uh, he, not, oh, I'm um, sorry, uh, Winter Soldier. Okay. It's the second yeah, one. Yeah, it is, the second. it is, you're right. Um, yeah, like, that's the most, uh, it is this idea of like, oh yeah, he he's in charge, and he doesn't like go on missions with them, but... When he has to, he's still like a badass. You know, he's still like a, a super tough guy. He's got it in it. And and like you can't just like kill him. In that way, it's the first time you see that Nick Fury be like the actual original comic Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Where he is like a super capable, badass, old school spy. You know? Um completely different tone of the movie but you know what i mean like the idea of of an old you know kind of guy at the top who has to be a real soldier at, at a certain right point. he's taking yeah. over no it, it makes sense it's a good comparison um good thanks uh you got anything else i have one more question for you i've i yeah i have nothing okay um uh, the Dane. The, uh, the Dane is gay. Sure. You're gay. Okay. Do you find the... Do I murder a bunch of people? Do you no. find the portrayal of the Dane to be offensive as a gay character? No, uh... I just it... read... I'm... Just to clarify, there is a recent article that came out that is about this movie and revisiting it, and they call it like revisiting. Uh, I'll I'll link it. I just saw it. Revisiting uh, the Cohen brothers' 
gay gay mob film or something like that. I don't remember what it's called. What? Because they talk about like the sexual overtones that there is sexual tension between Leo and uh, Tommy. And that's not overt. That's more just sort of like implied that they do have a relationship, not a sexual relationship, but that there is like a tension between them in the same way that there would be between partners. But also that there was some uh, criticism about the idea that the Dane is gay and that makes him an angry... The portrayal of a gay character as being a violent sociopath is too much in line with the ideas of like the way film noir of the old days would portray gay people where it was just implied that they were gay, but they always also had to be bad guys. They had to be deviant. Sure. Uh, Do you feel like that is blatantly offensive? No, I, here's the thing. I saw it as just this minor detail. Really what stuck out to me, like, I wasn't even sure he was gay. Like, I I didn't fully understand, because there's just it's a... It's not quite blatantly said, but it's it, very it strongly said. implied. Yeah. Right. Uh, and it's one of those things of this is just kind of showing the culture of the time. Like, right. he works for them, and it's just... No, uh, going back to Blade Runner, I told you that the main android in that uh, with his... Roy Batty, yep. With... He's his super effeminate vibes like that is more offensive to me because that's kind of like oh this is gay culture this is like femininity in a man is wrong and it's violent and like they're gonna attack you and try to change you and whatnot like that whole thing and that's a trope that goes far back. It's not just in Blade Runner. Sure. Uh, and I can often excuse it because I find villains like that cool. Uh, <laughs> which, it's like 70s Bowie. It's yes, like, it's like it, you know, like is. the androgyny of, of, of it. And also like the, the flamboyant, over-the-top, the over-the-top nature of those characters. Sure, like Ursula in... Uh, is based on a She's based on queen. a drag queen, uh, yeah. Divine, is it? I, I don't know the uh, name, the, to be honest. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that's... Uh, She's I'm, a very I'm famous wrong. queen. I'm probably wrong. Uh, someone who listens to us will know for sure. <laughs> Regardless, like, right. that is a thing going way back. This, I feel like, is a plot mechanic. Like, he's in with... Uh, the the one guy the bookie uh, uh minx yeah yeah uh and it's just a thing and it's, he's he's protecting mink yeah Be- it right him being gay is just a plot mechanic that explains that i never saw and he's also not the main villain like it's just a kind of no but he is thing. he is the most violent he's the most violent right. yeah um i i really didn't feel like that put a factor in it though okay i'm just i'm just curious what you think i and i also calling this a gay mob movie that's extreme because like i think it was i think it was looking at it through a very specific lens i'll link the article in the show notes i'd I'd be interested to read it it's an interesting breakdown of this movie and the character relationships in it and and it did mention that uh the the dane had drawn uh, some criticism and I don't I don't remember if that was like 
one of those things where it was more criticized at the time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? All of these criticisms, like your, your idea of criticizing like Roy Batty or uh, someone criticizing uh, the Dane as a bad portrayal of, of gay people. I think there are, there are times where that can be a concern, like in the thirties, forties, fifties, this pre Hayes code kind of thing where they're like, anytime you show a gay character, they have to be a villain. They have to be, you know, immoral. Right. I think looking at those things today, I always feel like there's no reason to criticize this. Everybody knows this is not representative of all gay people. Uh, that's just it, my point of view is. as a non-gay person. Even even if it was supposed to be at the time, I think people today understand, like, this isn't all gay people. I think there are bigger issues when, um, like, maybe if that's the only gay person in a movie. I, I think it's more like that's the only gay kind of archetype we get in the movies in general. It's 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 not like an individual problem. It's like again, uh Well maybe that's part of it then the, too. Is... The Bechtel test. It's like which by the way, this movie fails very much. There is, uh, there is one female character in the movie. Uh <laughs> and and again, it's not like a this movie's bad because of it or this movie's offensive to women. It's more like this was just very clearly written from a straight man's perspective about a bunch of straight men that they didn't really take into consideration. I, I, I would assume that this movie was just, they were going through the plot mechanics and then they were like, oh, you know, we can make the Dane gay. And so he has this relationship with this guy, which we aren't even going to show. Like, that's just a thing that's spoken about. Right. Which kind of explains and why he's And also plays into the plot. Him. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. It only is plot related. I think it's an interesting angle to give that character anyway. Uh, it is unexpected of the time. Kind but, but, of. Exactly. Because here's this very macho world that is run by men. That is run, you know, Leo being a capable badass shows you like this is run by very traditionally manly men where strength is power and strength is everything. And at the time, if you were gay, it was assumed that you were not strong. Right. You know, and, and for this guy to be sort of one of the most feared killers in this gang war and he's gay, I think is a really interesting angle to put on it. It, it's an interesting concept. I think the angle is what isn't interesting. Like, I think you could take that and create a much more interesting story with it. Like, there could be more depth to that. Like, more of a main character. And this is if just it was, like... If he was a main character of... Yeah, of, like, sure. like, I could see a scene where, like, they're ready to beat up on some gay guy or whatever and he like stops them and sure. that's like his one moment of going, whatever going back to Mad Men like there's there's that now again looking at that through a, a modern lens yeah. like there's a, a a character in Mad Men who's gay and he's but nobody knows he's gay 
it's this weird thing where it's like, it's very obvious to a modern audience, but it's like not, it wouldn't have been obvious to a, a 1960s co-workers. Right. So it's kind of like dramatic irony built into that. There's a lot of, you, you see it there and you see like how much it pains him when people like make gay jokes in the workplace and don't realize they're that he's, he's gay right there. You know, yeah. It's just, it's this really interesting aspect to it. And he's also like a, a sort of like, not background. He's a supporting character. Mm-hmm. Just like the Dane is. And I just think it is in the same kind of way. This works because it's subtext. It's not preachy. It's just an interesting angle. You're right. It, 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 it works. If he was a more of a, a main character, uh, it would it would be a whole different depth to this movie. Like yes. it, it would, it would put a whole different spin on and, everything. And I'm not saying that, Oh, this movie's bad because it didn't do that. I'm not saying that where I stand on this is this isn't an offensive take. It's just there. Right. It's, it's just not, I don't even want to say it's not enough. It's just there. Like I, I wasn't offended by it. I wasn't really like, Oh, that's cool. I was just like, okay, sure. Like, okay. there there are more offensive things out there that I would rather not see. I I just feel like this is written from a straight perspective, and you can kind sure. of see that in how it's written, and that's okay. Like, I, write your stories. I I was just I was just curious what what you thought about it, and mm-hmm. if that's too personal, I'll cut this whole section out. Um. And also, uh, before anybody emails me, I am aware that asking one gay person what their opinion is, is not representative of the entire LGBTQ. Well, I mean, uh, I do like uh, to uh, see community. My... I, I'm, I, I'm just asking, uh, one man's opinion and I, and putting I, it up against my own. So I, I do uh, like to speak out for, uh, everyone. Speak I, for everyone. That's I'm right. kind of. I'm Ellen before she was canceled. <laughs> I'll tell you what to be offended by. Don't worry. That's right. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I thought it was an interesting angle and I just wondered what sometimes what I think is is interesting um, or that I look at it and go, this is actually pretty progressive for 1990 even, you know, like to have a to have a gay character in in your roster even as subtle as this, keep in mind there was huge controversies over like gay kisses on TV. At oh, this I'm time. I'm sure. You know, like this is around the time that this is a mainstream movie. Like yeah. it, the like this wasn't a commonplace thing. Um, so I it just it just made me wonder how I, it, how it rang to you. I am interested in the controversies simply because I didn't pick up on anything that I was like upset about. But I mean. Different people, different perspectives. I'll send you that link, and I will also link it in the show notes. Um, so y'all can read that article and, uh, you know, tell us what you think. Yeah. We have we have listeners all over the spectrum and allies, and I just, uh, you know, I'm just curious how it... I don't know if I get a say or not. I'm a straight white guy in America. I've got it pretty good, but... Uh, <laughs> I just know what my perspective is. I just wonder what other people are. You're fine. Listen, this is a pretty queer movie. They say queer a bunch. <laughs> they do say uh, queer a bunch. That always throws me off, too, honestly, when I'm like, oh, yeah, it doesn't necessarily... It just <laughs> it, it's strange. a completely different... Yeah. Uh, 
I kind of like that usage of the word queer. Like, I'm... Yeah. Granted, I know now it's totally different. It's evolved like three times since then, but yeah. it's, it's just... Well, they also said gay totally differently. Then, Ain't that too. a little queer? And Marsha Gay Harden is in this movie. That's right. She's great, by the way. Love her. I don't know. She's Verna. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. She she was engaging. She She's great in this, and she's super great as a religious fanatic in The Mist. Uh, Frank oh, Darabont's yes. The Mist. She, okay. Oh, she's so good in that. Uh, anyway, that's that's what I've got on Miller's Crossing. I love this movie. Um, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. We watched it on old school DVD. That's right. Uh, but if if you have not seen this, because this is kind of one of those uh, overlooked Coen Brothers movies, uh, I highly recommend giving this a shot. I caught this for the first time. In the middle of the night, it was like a midnight movie on TV when I used to work nights. <laughs> I got home and it had just started and I had never seen it before. And I was super engaged through the whole thing. And I've loved this movie ever since. So please, if you've not seen it, I think you deserve... Treat yourself. Go back and treat yourself to this movie. That's right. Uh, I, I would probably... I, I recommend this movie because I do think it is good, but also be prepared for to be thr- thrust a, into it. There's a lot basically. of moving parts to yeah. this movie, for sure. Uh, it's an intense movie. Like, I want to just like... It's an involved Oh, movie. we're going to yeah. whatever, put on a movie. Like, I I would have to be in the right mood But this, this isn't like... You wouldn't put this as like one of your favorite Cohen movies, right? I've seen like three. Oh, I mean, I, still... I like, I would rank True Grit above this. Okay. Simply because Fargo. in in my mind, Western is above Gangster. Mobster. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you didn't like Road I, of Perdition much. Either. I don't connect yeah. to mobsters. I, I it, just it's not for everybody. Mob mob movies, I think, typically are about immoral people all the way through. Even your heroes are immoral people. And yeah. not everybody's gonna connect with that. So I don't begrudge any of that. Uh, despite our huge argument about Road to Perdition. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to shout-outs. And shout-out something you are excited about. What do you got this week, Oz? Sure thing. Uh, I'm shouting out a podcast I like just found, and I'm really excited about it. It's uh, it's called Original Characters, uh, a D&D table talk podcast. And this is not like adventure uh, zone it's it's not people playing D and recording it this is uh the host fern they bring on uh different just their friends or whoever they can find to interview and they will tell us about their character oh cool so it's like an interview kind of about or with the character uh just like, what are their stats? And, you know, what's their backstory? What makes them interesting? They talk about tropes. It's so really kind of cool. Is it almost like a process kind of diary? Like, you know, there are, are like, just to take comics, let's say. There are comic review shows, and there's a ton of those. And then there's others that are like uh, artists talking about their process. Is this more like that? More like... Here, yeah. Here's the breakdown of my character. Here's not. It, we're not going to talk about the game I'm playing. We're going to talk about 
how I write this character or how I create this character. And, yeah, yeah, it's it's not as much about like the mechanics of like, oh, this is you know, uh, if I roll a d seven here, like that's not even a thing. I'm just making things up. Uh, it, I I wouldn't know. You <laughs> make up whatever you need to. <laughs> it's it's more about the storytelling, the role playing, how certain characters come to be and like okay archetypes it's it's pretty cool all right so that's that's original characters original characters that's yes. a podcast okay all right uh this week i am shouting out uh jackie castle she's a writer and she just had a novel uh come out this week it is called the chasm um, and I am going to drop a link to bookshop.org, her page there. Uh, Jackie, I've known, uh, for a while. She is part of the writing block community. Uh, she's on Twitter at J Castle writes. And if you have no other reason to follow her, the first line of her Twitter bio is pro Oxford comma. And that means I am pro Jackie Castle. She is standing up for what she believes in, in the writing community. And you know what? <laughs> and I cannot fault her for that. And she's on the right side of history. She's on the right side of history, absolutely. Jackie's great. She is uh, super supportive of the indie writing community and uh, just a super cool person. And uh, check out her new book. She has, uh, I think it's a sequel to The Seclusion. I've not read it yet. Um and uh that came out early yeah as we're recording it came out just this week so it's brand new um and you can uh, i will have a link to where you can order that book that's awesome so check her out on twitter again that's at j castle writes at this point i want to thank you for listening to this episode of the picture show with austin and phil rude if you enjoy our show, don't give us the hi-hat. Leave a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps our visibility. It helps us grow the show. That is true. Did you know there's other ways to help us grow the show, Dad? Are there? Yeah. You can tell your friends. And if you want to just tell them straight up, you can. But it's a lot more fun to kind of break into their home maybe suggest to them or you know threaten them with violence uh make sure you're not first that's right that's how he knows it's <laughs> that's you. how he knows it's you uh cool that is a way to do it austin you have the wheel next week what do we got i do uh oh boy okay uh, <laughs> uh i don't like where this is going already i'm going out on a limb here because it's a movie i haven't seen but it just came out. I'm really excited to watch it. Uh, and we'll see if it's good. Uh, it's called The Bubble. It's a Netflix original comedy. I don't, don't, have, a, I don't have a good track record with these uh, Netflix originals. I don't have a good track record <laughs> with them. But okay. Uh, it is essentially a comedy about uh, what making of a movie during the pandemic uh okay. kind of poking fun at the absurdity of all the rules this and is the judd apatow thing right yeah okay uh and the trailer looked really good it's got 
Karen Gillian, a Doctor Who actress in it. Don't. All right, now I know why we're watching this damn thing. Shut up. She's a... <laughs> All right, it's got it, Peter Capaldi. Uh, <laughs> this is just a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> I, I I have to trick you into watching the show at this point. Uh, no, it, it does look like a really fun movie. Uh, and I thought the trailer looked like some fun, like some clever comedy. Okay. I We will see if it lives no, up no, to I, that or if it's just a good trailer. Look, but, a lot of people think Judd Apatow makes pretentious comedies that are too long. I think they're half right. I think... I think most of his movies are too long, but I, I also like a lot of Judd Apatow movies. I think I think he makes some, some interesting comedies. What, what are some other ones? Uh, the Forty Year Old Virgin, uh, Knocked Up. Um, uh, uh, he was, he was, partly, I, I think he was a producer. He may have written. He may have directed some episodes of uh, Freaks and Geeks. Okay. Uh, Judd Apatow's been around for a really long time. Uh, Funny People. Did you ever see Funny People? About uh, comedians. Adam Sandler and um, uh, uh, Jonah Hill's in it. Who's the... Uh, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I've seen that movie, but I've heard um, people like talking about yeah, it. Like the uh, buzz. No, I, I, I like Judd Apatow, so I'm not, I'm not really like freaking out about watching this movie just kind of giving you a hard time about uh, i and that's fair with like, with the track record of netflix originals i've brought uh the here's the thing i'm i've noticed about netflix originals is they will do good dramas they can do good comedies when they start to do genre work when they start to do horror when they start to do action movies things that require a budget uh-huh that's where I feel like they come up short with a lot of things. I think Netflix has some really good, like, uh, mid-budget dramas. And and also when they partner with other studios, like, uh, for The Adam Project, I think they were partnered with, like, Ryan Reynolds' studio. Right. And, like, I think everyone liked that. I haven't seen it. I haven't but seen it, yeah. It was generally praised as a competent movie. I, I never, yeah, I never know when... Something comes out and it's got somebody like Ryan Reynolds behind it. People are just going to watch it, whether it's good or not. And people are going to talk about it for about 10 minutes. And then it's going to go away and no one... Red Notice is the other one. Uh, Michael Bay had some movie with him in it. And they come out and everybody talks about it. And then like a week later, nobody's talking about it anymore. It's a completely like forgettable movie that everybody is just like... Oh, Ryan Reynolds rules. It's like, okay. Like, right. I, I that, get it. That was kind of free guy. Although I did, <laughs> I did really like that movie. I thought it was a fun movie. That's fine. But yeah. it is kind of Ryan Reynolds. I, I would Ryan like to see Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds do something where he's not just playing Ryan Reynolds and, you know, actually do something interesting as opposed to, you know, just showing up and going, hi, I'm Ryan Reynolds. And everybody's like freaking out about it. I just, <laughs> I think he's a, probably a capable enough actor to do something really interesting and i i would rather see him do that you're right i think Um, it's fun to break out of that sure um but yeah the bubble we'll see we'll watch it we'll talk about it uh social media what do you got i'm on twitter you can find me austin and rude and old who review those are my two 
What about you? I am at Phil Rude on Twitter, at Phil Rude 75 on Instagram. PhilRude.com is my website and ko-fi.com slash PhilRude. Buy me a book. Buy me a coffee. Buy yourself a book. Or buy me a book. Or buy me a book. I'll take a book. Oh, so you want to read the credits? Yep. We did it all ourselves. There you have it. We'll see you next time on The Picture Show. See ya. Not long ago, there were only three television channels, and the cheaply made family man comedy was king. Turning the dial would only give you another glimpse into a suburban nuclear family with a breadwinner husband, a stay-at-home wife, and the occasional talking horse. That is until 1964, when one show dared to take a glimpse into the lives of terrible monsters that lived next door. The Monsters premiered that September, and well, America has yet to recover. The Monster Hunter shuns the millions of hours of original shows that are available at the press of a button to take a look back at a 60-year-old comedy about a Frankenstein monster and his grotesque family. He he reaches down, he just grabs her by the butt and lifts her up. Yep. Yeah. Instead of opening the window, he punches through the window. <laughs> which, I mean, this is your damn window, man. By the way, he's trying to catch uh, the raven out of the, the clock. Oh, is that yeah. what he's doing to feed the cat? Yeah. yeah. I was very disinterested, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> the Monster Hunters, available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>